We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and it's the rare uh, post-game recording. I have not done a rewatch. There's, it's not the measured takes in the morning after. We had a fun game tonight, damn it, and we're going to celebrate it because we haven't had a lot of these. That was a good-ass win, D. We played well tonight, and yeah. I think that if in the broader view over the course of this road trip, an identity has begun to take shape with this team. Uh, we had another game where THT sat out with the ankle. We started Dwight. Dwight was a minus 13, but we went to some different looks, both with the starters and the bench groups. Um, went away from Mello in the fourth quarter. Avery Bradley did not play in the second half. I thought both Stanley Johnson and Wenyan Gabriel were central to this performance. And I just thought it was a, a fun game that illustrated kind of what this team can be and which is not to say that it can be everything that we want it to be in ultimate goals. It's not really the point, but I've been really big this season on, I just want us to get to the best version of ourselves. And I thought a game like tonight and a game like Toronto and even that Washington game when we didn't let go of the rope, like we were talking yesterday, a seven, three guy is going to shoot over the top of you. And if he makes it, you know, you're going to live with that as a shorter team. But these last three games in particular, D, I've been really happy and excited with the team really kind of taking its natural form and finally doing so with 10 games left in the season now. Mike, so I'm going to kick it to you because I don't want to steal your thunder and take a big old Mike Trudell take here. But two-star team with hardworking role players around them that's been a formula that has worked for the Lakers in the past. Those two stars were typically LeBron James and Anthony Davis. These last three games, Russell Westbrook has not been a star star, but he has played with confidence. He has played to his strengths, and he has been super effective, I think, in three straight games. Now, this was a monster game from from LeBron, but I also thought Russ showed up in real ways. And that idea of, of it being two high usage guys who could dominate the ball 
and really create shots for everyone else. And then all of the role player guys basically doing role player things with a huge outlier role player game from a DJ Augustine from a shooting perspective. And that's a formula to go out there and win a basketball game against a depleted team, but a good team and a team that's at home and a team that had some juice in the building. And so talk to me some about sort of that idea with the two stars and and also just on the ground, LeBron James in Cleveland coming off of breaking a record and sort of the buzz that was in the building because you could feel it through the telecast. Yeah, I'll start with a little zoom out scene setting, you know, and the reason why we're able to do this, or at least I'm able to jump on it, is because the team is actually staying here in Cleveland tonight, which is a rarity. Typically, we would get right on the plane, head back, and you know, I'd be in my bed by about 3 a.m. Pacific. And tonight, we'll stay here, we'll wake up early, and, and get back at about noon tomorrow. But this whole trip, and really, the you know, the Minnesota game aside for a second, these last three, they've, for the most part, played about 11 out of 12 good quarters, at least overall. They've had pockets where they've struggled in certain ones of them, but overall, they've put in some pretty consistent effort, some pretty consistent energy, and we talked about it on the pod that we recorded this morning. Uh, it, by the time you guys hear this, it'll, it'll be the next day, but that, you know, the fact that they were able to kind of hold on to the rope there and keep rowing in that one direction, I suppose I shouldn't have mixed metaphors there, but that that was and is encouraging, and so I like getting onto the bus. It was a really quick post game. LeBron went right away. Then DJ Augustine came in, Vogel and Westbrook, and it was just you know really sh- quick, really sharp. Everybody got on the bus, and I get back to the hotel, and I'm the first one off the bus behind Vogel, and it's just me and Vogel going up in the elevator. And you know I, I won't I won't betray what was said, but it's just it's just nice to be able to look in and see Frank be able to get in the elevator and like have a smile on his face mm-hmm. after the way this season has gone. And how much, for whatever you agree or disagree with the decisions that they've made and the roster uh, composition and lineups and all that, he has definitely tried his ass off mm-hmm. this year. Yes, you he know, has. He's worked really, really hard to try to stay positive, to try to co- just every night continue to come up. And so it's that that makes you kind of feel good just on a human level to see him be able to go to sleep tonight, right, having had his team uh, played somewhat of a consistent brand of ball that is working and I think builds upon what some of the things that we mentioned, Pete, in this morning's podcast. So I know we can break down this specific game tonight, but I want to just lay some background there first. No, I love that because I think that we didn't get around to, and we brought it up, but we didn't get around to in the last pod, kind of Vogel's adaptability from a lineup perspective. We touched on it, but that's something that, like you said, he has continued to work. And this was what the 34, 37 yeah, new, new lineup again, yeah, tonight, new starting too. lineup. And what he's been doing lately, I think has been trying to match up with the team across from him, which does make sense. Cleveland is a bigger team. Jared Allen, of course, was out tonight. And, but even with Mobley and Markinen, there's a certain amount of height that has given us a problem that I, we started Dwight. Dwight was not good in this game. And I think we'll get to more of Dwight's role overall. But the point being that. Vogel started this year with the the infamous DeAndre Jordan. We're going to start him with Trevor Ariza out, right? And then the Trevor Ariza being plan A in the first place is a whole nother conversation. But he has tried a bunch of different lineups and has over time progressively found it more and more of what this team is supposed to be. 
And this team, again, is going to have flaws no matter. There's no magic elixir D that he can just like this. They're going to be able to defend. Right. But one of the things that's really flummoxed us over the course of this season has been the offense. And I think that he has had a greater regard for offensive spacing in ways that have really unlocked our drive and kick game so that we can win a game 131 to 120 when earlier in the season, maybe that's a 120 to 106 loss. And we played the same caliber of defense in both games, but only in one of them is, and we were getting good shots. We were kind of lamenting at the beginning of the game before DJ Augustine went nuts that it was like, man, we got four straight open looks on corner threes. None of them went down. Wenyan missed a few of them. But the point is that we're getting good looks in the first place. And when you can stack that on top of a night where LeBron, again, just an, an absolute masterful performance, all of a sudden you're in the 130s against a good Cleveland team. A couple nights after you put up a good number on a pretty good defensive team in Toronto. And so not only is it the individual team performance, but we're seeing that reflected on the road against pretty good defenses that are around the same caliber of team and I don't know I'm excited I'm excited to see the team kind of reaching its potential all the while knowing that that potential of course is limited especially without Anthony Davis what I've seen from Frank is a guy who has basically decided that as much as he can he really is looking for that middle road between can I find enough defense on the court while also now always having three quote-unquote shooters on the floor or say it another way two non-shooters right yes and so there can only be two non-shooters on the floor at any given maximum time, yes right M- maximum so he starts the game who's in the game russell westbrook and dwight howard those are your non-shooters right so now that means you know who can't start stanley johnson can't start that's right. Right. And so THC when you can't get, start, mm-hmm. THC can't start, but THC is not available. So let's talk tonight. Right. right? right. So gotcha. who's so who starts instead? All right. Well, we can go small, but the calves are not small. So you mentioned there's got to be a certain amount of like, well, who are we playing? Right. That's why Dwight's mm-hmm. in the lineup at all. So starting Avery Bradley, Avery Bradley could shoot a little bit. Right. He's not a non shooter. The other night he hit a couple of big threes that were like important shots. So if he's got a shot going, he can be good. But he said, nope, we're starting Wenyan Gabriel. Gabriel can space to the corner. He had a really good start against Toronto the other night. And it's sort of just like, and he will play some defense. He will compete on that. And and then he goes with Austin, which I thought was a good swing decision as an in-between and connective player. He, he can shoot the ball some, but he's also a playmaker. He can be a second side ball hander and he can be an offensive initiator. And that balance in the lineup, Pete and Mike, I think that that's something Vogel has been going to more and more. And we just haven't been talking about it because the results mm-hmm. overall as the team have not been very good. They've been losing. There have been effort problems at times. And And games that you would have hoped they would have won, they lost. Recently, though, it's all starting to come together just a little bit more. And that lineup balance and, I think, improvement from Russell Westbrook in these last few, few games Mm. has been a key driver for the success and, and reaching that potential of what this group is. So let's go to break here and... Pete, on the other side, I want to hear your thoughts a little bit on Russ. And then, Mike, I want to hear from you on a great LeBron game. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As you guys know, I have been a Russell Westbrook fan for quite some time. Now, I his flaws are easy to see, and I've... I'd love to have a pod with you guys at some point, especially after the, probably after the season on what surprised each of us about the Russell Westbrook experience, because he's a player that I think a lot of people, ourselves included, have well-developed opinions on. But whenever you watch a guy on a day-to-day basis, I think that there are uh, there are things that show up and this year was no different. For me, one of the disappointments has been, you know, that that Jon Snow gif from Game of Thrones where it's him and he's drawing his sword against the approaching cavalry. So it's like him and there's just a whole army, you know, charging at him on horses. Yeah. Yeah. And that I've always seen Russ kind of is that type of guy. One of the things that I think that the the criticism of him warranted or not, but people have a little extra heat for Russell Westbrook. And and that's always been the case. And I think that part of that has forged a certain degree of screw you guys. I don't care what your opinion is. That is certainly harmful in some ways, but can also be helpful in a like, I don't give a crap. I'm going to do what I do. And that, that I'm going to do what I do has been one of the more disappointing parts up until recently about the Russell Westbrook experience. In that Toronto game, Mike, he had a bunch of those tap-out rebounds, right? Uh, He had in this uh, game against Cleveland, a lot of – we opened up some space, and that's part of the lineup stuff, right? And he's going to the rack, but he's also taking his jumper in a way where he was never a good shooter, of course, but he had like – he was shooting like 11% for a dozen-game stretch from three and like putting really bad numbers up to where if he doesn't have a jump shot at all, it becomes really problematic. And so – in a very simple way, I think that him just being able to knock down some jumpers has helped. Yeah. But there's also been a like a battling, a competitiveness. Uh, he's been getting steals, working on switches. That that's the guy that I expect. I don't expect him to to change who he is, but I actually want more of the of the things that he can do. And I thought he's done that a lot the last three games in particular. So after the game tonight, Russ, actually, he started with what was kind of a charming moment where he was wearing a sweater. And you can see it on my Instagram where his son, his four year old son, Noah, drew a picture of him and his dad with like a sunshine. And they had it. I assume his mom did this, but his uh, Russ's wife had it put on a cashmere sweater. 
And so Russ starts the mm-hmm. press conference by saying, hey, uh, Tanisha, to the PR person, Tanisha, can you tilt the camera down a little bit to make sure that the sweater comes in here? And at first you're kind of like, Wait. but then he tells, so I asked him, I was like, I was like, Hey, what do you want us to see about it? You know, before, right before we started recording. And then he tells the story about his son. And I don't know that, that I, I'm a sucker for anything like that with kids. And so that, that was charming. And then just that moment, I think itself tells you a little bit about how he's feeling though, right. Coming into the press conference where, and I asked him, did he, what did he see from these three games and sure take out the fourth quarter from Washington and one of the first things that he said was, I think his implication was about the structure of the team and the offense. And I think what he meant, again, I just got away from there. I have to listen to it again. But I think what he meant was shooting in, t- in some ways around what he's doing on offense. So it, so Augustine alone off the bench, maybe sub him in for THT. Then Wenyan Gabriel, a big who, even though he missed all four of his shots today, is spacing out to the corner. Dwight only played 11 minutes. And, you know, Austin Reeves only took one three, but made it today. Mello, like they're for them. Even Stanley, who hit those two big threes in the fourth quarter, right? Those in Monk, those guys being spaced around it. Russ had 11 assists and only one turnover. And he didn't even have the ball that much. Like, like he was he was going to the corner at certain times. And so I got to give him credit for that. And then, Pete, what you said about the shooting, two for six from Russ, amazing. You take, you take that. You take it every game. Right? Yes, sir. 33%. And he, it, it means he's not hesitating on all of them. He was in the corner. The Lakers got a ton of corner threes off. And in mm-hmm. fact, they couldn't hit one early. And then they started to fall eventually. But I, I think that Augustine point, and I want to give Darius credit for, for kind of mentioning this, mentioning this in the chat, what he, the functionality that he provides to the offense here, Darius, put it in your words. Cause you were, you were saying it better than I will. Augustine, so he had a big game tonight, right? But Augustine brings a balance to the lineup that I think has just been missing as a skill set from the guard position as like a pure sort of like quick decision making guard who is also a shooter. So Monk is not that. Monk is like a shot creating guard. And so he'll dribble around a lot. He he had a possession today, Pete Monk did, just as a sidebar, where he he was running a pick and roll with LeBron, right? So LeBron comes and sets a screen. Monk goes by and he goes around the screen. And then he's like, nope, don't like that. LeBron flips the screen. He goes back to his left hand to use the screen again. Nope, nope, don't, don't like that. Back dribble between my legs, between my legs. Okay, let's use the screen again and go right. He goes right and then hits LeBron with a pocket pass. Now, that was like eight seconds of dribbling just to get a pocket pass to (laughs) LeBron James. And it's sort of just like, okay, bro, like we know you got a bag, but sometimes you just got to like create something just a little bit faster. And Augustine is much more economy of motion when it comes to what his game is, right? It's just like, I'm open, pull up three. Like, oh, Closeout's coming, attack the closeout. Like, like there's there's so much simplicity to what a to to what Augustine's doing. And then on top of that, his jumper is more than respectable. It's going in, and he's starting to sort of get his footing within the team. And, and so that he functionally, Mike, he is creating a balance within the lineups that I think is super important for what the Lakers are doing. So I think the other part of this, and so Augustine comes and does the post-game media, and the question that I'm curious about, so he's a point guard, right, for almost his whole life. 
But because he's been such a good shooter in his career, he has played a lot off of the ball on in the half court situation. And so, Pete, let me now kind of set you up on this. He there's just a difference between guys that really know where to find the spot in the defense and then know how to get the shot off. And he's just to me in my short time viewing him within this context and my recollections over the year, he's pretty good at it. And that that alone makes a big difference as well. And I think that it creates this certain amount of balance that Russ was trying to lose you where when Russ drives at a certain angle or LeBron drives at a certain angle, you know, I don't know that Monk or even Austin Reeves at this point of his career or Stanley Johnson, those guys aren't quite doing it the way that Augustine is doing it, or maybe the way that KCP would have done it last year. So can you break that down for me? Yeah, I think that there is every guy that you mentioned has some hole in the whole sequence that you have to be proficient at to be good as an off ball shooter. So it's not just the ability to make the shot, but then can you shot fake if they close out and attack the closeout and get to the rim at the angle that that position uh, dictates, right? So uh, the way you attack a closeout going left from the wing from say the right wing, so going middle from there, is different than you might finish if you're attacking a closeout driving baseline from the left corner. And so a guy like Augustine, this is almost, this is the biggest difference between a guy like him and THT, aside from the skill set, is there's a, I've done this exact play thousands of times in the NBA that they're step ahead mentally as much as, as anything else. So Augustine, has that experience in ways that Austin is actually phenomenal at at doing this and attacking closeouts and whatnot. His biggest weakness is that he's not a knockdown three point shooter yet. He he made one tonight, but he'll have nights where you know he gets really good looks and doesn't really knock him down. And maybe he could be Pete. He's just not like looking at it. Like, he's not thinking about it that way, right? Like I, I, I bet I, in I bet in three yeah. four years he'll be a knockdown catch and shoot guy. My theory on this is that it's like a weight room conditioning thing that he's playing big NBA minutes and just, for example, the other day he had a couple of air balls on wide open threes that it's usually like, yeah, that guy's legs are fried. That's why. And I'm not saying that his legs are fried necessarily, but to be a, I think you have to be in a certain amount of shape to play defense and the type of game that he plays and do that at the 28, 30 minutes a game that he's getting now. Anyhow, and Malik is going to have uh, some decision-making mistakes in the process of that. And then even go to THT, who's not going to get closed out too in the first place. And he doesn't have a lot of those that, those reps making that wing three on the kick out. And so that's kind of these record scratches that I've been talking about where it's like everything goes right. It's a good drive and kick for an open shot. That's all you can ask for, but it's going to a player that's not particularly good at it. And a guy like even Stanley Johnson is capable of, uh, kind of operating in that short roll space where even if he's not hitting his threes, he can still space the floor and keep the wheel going on drive and kick type of stuff. So let's go to our last break. Uh, D, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And then we got to get into LeBron. So let's just close it out on Russ here because the last thing I wanted to say about him is look at his numbers the last three games. And mentally, it would have been easy for Russ to fold some after the Minnesota game. So Russ, Russ didn't play terribly against Minnesota. He went five for 12. The Lakers lost. Like, okay. But he got made fun of 
by other NBA players. And he was mocked on the court in ways that went viral. And they were talk show discussions about the disrespect that was shown to Russell Westbrook. And that sort of dominated the Lakers fear a little bit, if not by the Lakers themselves, it was definitely out there enough where everyone knew what was going on. And a less defiant player or a less confident player or, and Russ, I think at times this season has not been as confident as we would have liked to have seen. (laughs) I think it would have been easy for him to retreat a little bit. And so when you bring up that imagery that you brought up earlier, Pete, about that sort of defiance and that don't give a damn and I'm going to do it my way. And the disappointment that that I think you felt, and I felt this too, I think that different points during the season, like, where is that dude with this rep? Yeah, Where is that guy? Did he disappear? Right? What's going on? And so the bounce back that he's had in these three games and the level that the confidence that he's playing with now the shots are going in it's easy to feel and look confident when the shots are falling but there's just a certain amount of verve and sort of like i don't give a damn and joy in the russell westbrook joy sense that has been essential to his game it's essential i had Pete, you and I had had a conversation about Russ offline, had nothing to do with with the pod. And I had asked you if you'd ever like grilled on like a charcoal grill or whatever. And we were just talking about barbecuing. And I had said that when you really want to get the flame going, you need to open up all of the vents on your grill, really get the airflow going because that airflow is going to feed that flame. You need it and to get to the to get the soup heated up a certain way, right? Yeah, yes. Yes, if you're heating up soup that's on the grill, Mike, especially. Especially (laughs) so. Nice. I had said that Russ is sort of like that flame. And the more you close the vents off, the sort of less spirit. Russ needs spirit to drive him as, as a player. And too often this season, clogged lanes, too many big lineups, not enough shooting on the floor. That has been the closing of the vents around the flame that is Russell Westbrook, and it's been tamping him down. And I think outside noise and all kinds of other factors have clearly been getting into his head, and that's been tamping that spirit as well. And these last three games, I've seen the vents just forced open. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's Pat Beverly holding his nose. I don't know if it's Carl Anthony Towns ducking as if an air ball was going to crush his head. I don't know what it was, but... Russ has bounced back in a way that's been meaningful, and these games have been important, I think. Last little note, I just think that watching Cleveland defend was an interesting way to think about how the Lakers defend. If you think about Mobley as a Davis type, and since mm. since Jared Allen was out of the game, what did the Lakers do? What did LeBron do? Found ways to get, to get uh, Mobley out of the paint or involved in certain actions, and then they had nothing else there. And the Lakers just, the Lakers crushed it inside. You know, f- throughout the evening, I think they were so they were 32 for 46 in the paint. That's 70 percent, 64 points in the game. And it also it just makes you want for Anthony Davis when he comes back. And, but that that just tonight, I thought was a was one way to look at it. And it, Darius looks like you want to get one point in and then we'll we'll get to LeBron. No, I think the same thing happened against Toronto. Right. Where it's just like, oh, yeah, look at all these sort of big wing guys. And there's a Siakam and there's a Scotty Barnes and there's a Kim Birch or there's a Precious Achua. And Braum was just like, yeah, well, if we move these guys around here and Russ was doing this, too, like, well, guess what? Once I get to, to the basket, I don't care about you. Like, you're not big enough to stop me. And with Mobley away from from the basket, I thought that that helped Russ, too. 
I thought the point about how to attack them and how that reflects our brand of defense, there's been points throughout this period of uh, throughout this stretch where we have played good defense and it's more about kind of winning these aerial battles like the times where we've defended well over the last three games this is a better way of saying this has been kind of like a Wenyan Gabriel or a Stanley Johnson or a Russell Westbrook or an Austin Reeves flying in there's a lot of scrambling and flying and like soaring that where you kind of bounce off of somebody you know midair and someone else scrambles to track it down all these jobs are why this team was so in need of youth and athleticism and motor, why those attributes have always been something that this, that this team has needed. And Anthony Davis at his best is probably the best player in the game in that respect. The only other guy that has an argument uh, is Giannis in terms of winning motor type of plays. That's part of why he's so dominant is he can score 15 points and be so omnipresent on the boards and in the air and uh, blocking shots and getting steals and getting deflections that he's still able to dominate. And so that's it, man. Like in terms of trying, we talked a while back guys about the idea of trying to build something that Anthony Davis can slot into. I think it's this, but I think it's this with a keen eye on Carmelo Anthony's shifts on Taylor Horton Tucker shifts, on Avery Bradley shifts, right? Because, and even DJ Augustine, that's one of the things about having this many vet minimum guys contributing. There are going to be nights where it's like, Wenyan cannot play in this game. Stanley does not work. And that, Mike, has been, when you were talking earlier about Frank trying all of these different sorts of things, he's getting a better and better feel for who works when, He's not all the way there. We got 10 more games, but it's in a, a, a much better place than it was. LeBron James is, of course, the thing that makes all of this stuff work. And, you know, his post game. So he's finding. I think what he's he's kind of this is the brilliance of LeBron, but he's almost able to separate the most important thing, which is the Lakers winning games. And so he's so that's that's remains that's that has not changed. But he's he's now at this stage of his career, and I think at this level of efficiency and impactfulness that he's having, an impact that he's having on the offensive side of the court, he's finding a lot of joy in that. Because especially with a clear paint, it's so easy for him right now. And he's just sitting back there and he's he's staring at the defense. He knows exactly who's gonna be where. He can he's just this puppet master, and it's I can understand why that would be fun. Like when you're 19 years in and you can still dictate everything that's going to happen and you have enough pop, you have enough juice still in your legs where your legs in the traditional sports, just any anybody's career in year 19 has not had anywhere near the level of athleticism that LeBron is at. I don't care what this that dunk on Kevin Love, man. <laughs> yeah, bro. The Tom Chambers. Yep. I mean, and, and just he's got it's not like that was the only one. No, and, no, you know, doing this and, every night. and he'll break out a couple. He'll break out one of those uh, those vertical jumps on defense here and there. He's not doing it the whole game, but he'll break it out. And I think that that he is reveling in that. So he's of course, he's frustrated with where the Lakers are at in wins and losses and standings. But he understands why that is. You know, he understands what the limitations are to this team. But the fact that he's been able to have this kind of a stretch. So let me let me just very quickly. Here's his last three games. 
And we, I was like, oh, wait a second. How, why are the Lakers been consistently having a chance to win road games against two teams? One team that's, that's really good, Toronto. One team that's pretty good in Cleveland. And one team that's bad in Washington on the road. And it's LeBron. It just 36 points on 15 of 26 at Toronto. 38 on 16 of 29 at Washington. 38 on 17 of 29. That's about 57% from the field. Assisted turnovers, excellent. Rebounds, all uh, averaging ten. Blocks and steals, uh, average. Well, averaging one block hasn't hasn't been getting a ton of steals. And you know, it's just that to be able to do that, that's why all of this other stuff is possible. Because you've had a LeBron James that is now he's he knows how many games are left. He knows what his body can do. He knows what his knee can do. And there are what ten games left now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 10 games and then the play-in. And the Pelicans lost tonight, so the Lakers have a one-game lead. Um, I, I think that's still quite precarious, given what the schedules are. We'll see. But, you know, it's it's. I don't see San Antonio or Sac- – I don't see anybody else getting in there um, ahead of the Lakers. They're just going to have to win a few games to stay in that 9-10. So this level of LeBron, I do think now they can count on to be to be this level of, of locked in um, as they go on in the stretch. And – even with Anthony Davis uncertain as to when he's going to return, that is, remains the most important thing that they could have going on. So two things. Pete, you've talked a lot about the 365-day LeBron James, like that idea of like the map for LeBron James. This is the time of the year where yeah. that would start. The other thing that stood out to me is, Mike, when you were talking about all of the things that LeBron does that is like that's easy for him right like oh a cleared lane and one dude on me and help defender who's small uh, like protecting the basket yeah that stuff's easy the stuff that is makes me still marvel at lebron james is all the stuff that's hard and that he's doing that stuff too right and so some of the shots that he hit tonight pete like these are impossible shots Fourth quarter stuff was, yeah. yeah. Like the fourth quarter, the top of the key fade, right? The right wing fade. He Darius, well, he called he called it the parachute shot. That's what he called. I've never heard that term nice. before. I like that. He called it the parachute. I was like, okay, that, that's a thing now. Like the I like enter, that. enter so a new word in the NBA lexicon. That's right. We always got to keep adding. That's right. All of these plays that he's making, there was a point in time during the fourth quarter where the lead was starting to like slip a little bit and Frank had called a timeout and Pete, you had said to the text thread like that, this is a good timeout. And I was just like, yeah, man, LeBron looks tired. He was creating shots out of nothing. Like there were guys just draped all over him. The Lakers were playing a slowdown game because they weren't getting stops. So they were taking the ball out of the basket and LeBron's walking the ball up. The ball's barely getting across half court before the eight second count. And LeBron's just creating shots at the very last second. Like he he drives with three seconds on the shot clock, dishes off to Gabriel with literally one second on the shot clock for Gabriel to get a dunk, right? And he's making play after play after play that are difficult plays. And he's making them in order to keep the Lakers at arm's length from the Cavs in order to, to well to win this game. So for all of the stuff that LeBron does that is easy or he's making look easy because the game is simplified for him in ways when they've gone small. For me, Pete, the stuff that stands out is like 
man, look at all of this stuff that's hard. And how is he still doing the hard stuff like this at this stage and closing games out like this? And that's what was so impressive to me against the Cavs. I think he's got certain tools at his disposal that for for all of the like we traded a lot of what was good about this team for a primary ball handler, which is 100% true. I think we messed up in some other areas that, you know, degraded the defense, but we certainly made the gambit for the ball handler. I think some of the tools that he gets to use now are more of the off-ball tools that an older Kobe or an older Michael Jordan, actually MJ had this throughout his career with Scottie Pippen next to him, great scorers being able to operate off of the ball in ways that LeBron has developed that fadeaway. That again, these are staples of late career MJ, late career Kobe, those unblockable fadeaways. Mike, when you were a kid, how many times did you see MJ just put somebody on that left block 16 feet away and just shoot just a nasty fadeaway, right? And it was money. We all knew that shit was coming. There was nothing that was going to stop it. He was either going to miss it or he wasn't. And I feel like that's kind of the the part of LeBron's career that he's entering, but it necessitates a certain capacity off of the ball and the ability to set up plays now whether or not russell westbrook is the right person for that of course or how much you need that i i i that remains in question but i do think mike that the ability to operate off of the ball is why we see him putting up 30 a game it's he's got more tools at his disposal yeah the one i still have nightmares about is from was it 2011 when dirk you know would just get to the spot and and just another guy hit yep. every single shot and there's just nothing that you could do about it. And, you know, you could put Bynum and Gasol in his face and make a difference. Kobe digging down. Yeah. So yeah, he has, he has reached that stage and it's the, you know, he always, LeBron talks about this as the point of pride that he had after the initial loss to the Spurs in that early finals when Popovich and this were, were and it was the obvious, like anybody would have done it. Just let him shoot back off, build a wall let him shoot. And he, he was like, I can't let that be what my career is about. So he can shoot now, you know, well enough where you still, you still almost have to play him to give him to at least get a late contest. Cause it's still probably better for you than him getting to the rim. But that just shows the impossible nature that it is. And I guess my, so this will be my last point kind of tied to that. Anthony Davis coming in. That's, that's part of what to me, gives the Lakers, it raises their ceiling or sorry, it raises their floor so much defensively, but Mm -hmm. offensively right now, what I think has been just completely unlocked this year, despite not having ideal personnel is the opposing coach the night before trying to figure out what to do with LeBron in these spaced out floor situations. Mm -hmm. And sure. They had some of this when they won the title. Like, so it's not like this is some completely new concept, but they're leaned way more into it now. And even when Anthony Davis is is back and you're going to try to dare him to beat you with some jump shots, whatever the case may be, that to me is still what makes this Laker team. When you see them on the scouting report and you see LeBron, it's it's a problem that there isn't a good answer to. There is not offensively. There is not a good answer as to how to deal to me with LeBron James. There's no defense that solved it. And he's he's got all the answers to it. It just a matter sometimes of if the shots go in or not. He's just such an unbelievable player. And Pete, when you were talking about the off ball work, it's these are the critiques that like a James Harden faces or even a Russell Westbrook faces. And, you know, Luka Doncic in his young career is facing them already. 
even though he's a decade and a half younger than a player like LeBron. It's four years now of watching LeBron play. The thing that stood out to that has stood out as like, man, he's so good at this. And it gets talked about some. So I don't want to act like it's never, but he's such a good cutter. He's so good at moving off of the ball. The way that he got that massive dunk on Kevin Love was another back cut, basically. He lurked in from half court. He didn't just stand there and wonder like, okay, we'll kick the ball out to me. Let me do something with the ball off of the dribble. He saw Austin. He cut. And he went right to the front of the rim. And he does that so often in order to just get to the basket in ways as an off-ball worker that does make his life easier. And that to me is just like, man, I can't believe like we're blessed to have this dude on the Lakers. And Mike said it a few games ago, like in the text thread, I think it was after he had the second 50 point night at home, like where he was just like, we don't appreciate this guy enough. And and so this game against the Cavs was just another reminder of like, he is that dude. He still has that in him. And it was great to see him get the win that he did not get in Washington and do it in front of the hometown guys right even though it's cleveland and and not akron and i think pete i lied and said i was my final point Uh, so here's another one to kick it to you part of what i think lebron's career and differentiating it with kobe he since he made the choice to leave two team two fan bases now right in cleveland and miami there's just something that that does when someone leaves you and, and they become an ex that is a little bit different from the way that Laker fans can view Kobe as ours. Of course. Forever. Yeah. And, and, and so, but he was able to restore that by not only going back to Cleveland, but somehow winning them a title. And so he's got, it's like, it's, it's still, it's not the same had he stayed in Cleveland his whole career, but it's still there enough uh, to, and that is also cool to see. And like he, he's gained a lot, I think from his moving to different places, but you know, he, that's part of, I think where, not part. That's a big, that's a big, huge, massive part of how he will be not quite remembered the same way by certain fan bases. But, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't let that take away from the appreciation of what he the beautiful way that he plays the game of basketball. I think that every place that he's been in his career has influenced his game. Uh, one of the beautiful parts of his game, of which there are many, is his ability to absorb uh, the greatness of others in certain ways. And he's even had his own Dirk step backs a couple of times and as certain shots that uh, in certain moves, you can tell that he's watched a certain player and he understands how to work the machine and he understands the concepts and ideas of basketball. The breadth of his understanding is greater than anyone who's ever played the game. And it's a real gift to learn from him on a day-to-day basis and and watch what he does. And I think that all of his experiences play into that. We could wax loquacious about him and and we will, uh, but we're going a little long. Fun night tonight, guys. I hope everyone enjoyed this game. Let's let's hope they can build off of this. I, I think that this is it. I think that we're very close to understanding what we can be. And so fingers crossed, uh, we will be back on Wednesday. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.